You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome to Radically Pragmatic. I am Ariel Kane, the Director of Healthcare Policy at PBI, and I have with me Charlie Katibi, a health policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks, Ariel. And today we are here to discuss a new paper that we wrote on telehealth during the pandemic. I thought we should start with, you know, why are we both interested in telehealth? Obviously, we're coming at this issue from, you know, a more uh, left-leaning perspective and a more conservative perspective, but we have a lot of similarities here. So do you want to start? Like, why why is AFP interested in telehealth? Absolutely. Yeah. So Americans for Prosperity, we are dedicated to the idea that every person has unique gifts and abilities that they can that they should contribute to this society and nothing prevents you from being able to give your all and contribute in that way when you have terrible health conditions and your health gets in the way and frankly we consider telehealth to be an amazing way to give people greater access to that health care especially when you know they don't have doctors in in their community and they just want to you know talk to healthcare providers at home. Yeah, I think that's a similar approach to PPI's perspective, but also PPI has long been more on the innovation side of things and thinking that innovation can disrupt things and make life better. And, you know, they see, or they, I I include myself in that, we, (laughs) we see telehealth as a way that's, you know, moving healthcare forward and trying to reach more people, especially like you were saying in underserved communities. Um, But something I always like to add is that while I think telehealth is an important tool to improving medicine and reaching people where they are, it's just one of many tools. And, you know, obviously you can't perform most surgeries remotely, so it's not going to be a silver bullet for a healthcare system, but it's definitely a good way of moving the needle forward. Um, And I think, you know, we had this insane situation, which we are living through still, where we got to, you know, test out the potential of telehealth. So if you think back to March of 2020, the Trump administration declared a public health emergency. And you're going to have to remind me of the details. But as a part of that, um, HHS was given emergency powers. And HHS used those powers to expand access to telehealth. Obviously, like medicine is regulated both at the federal level and also a lot at the state level. So the federal government's regulations affected um, Medicare patients mostly, and then states did a bunch of things themselves. What Can you give some examples of what the states were doing? Absolutely, yeah. So what the states did was in many ways exactly what Medicare did. What Medicare did was they removed a ton of regulations and restrictions that prevented patients in rural, outside rural areas from accessing health care. What the states did was something similar. A lot of states had laws on the books that said you couldn't access telehealth at home. You couldn't access t- 
telehealth from healthcare providers like mental health experts, dietitians, nutritionists. States like got, they regulated the type of providers that could provide telehealth, and they said whether or not you could. I think Medicare does that too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So they impose a lot of these restrictions decades ago mm-hmm. when they didn't understand where health telehealth could go. So they basically said you could only access telehealth from a doctor, for instance. You couldn't access telehealth from a school or a home. You had to actually go to a doctor's office in order to hear from a specialist remotely. That's what I think is like a lot of people don't realize about Medicare telehealth is that even like the the rural provisions which are supposed to increase access to people, you're required to go to a facility and then from that facility they will call in a healthcare expert that they don't have locally. Um, but so you're not remote the physician is remote and you're still as a patient have the hurdle of like getting to the appointment yes and as terrible and burdensome as those restrictions are and we know this in our hyper-connected world right now i thought back to 2001 when these laws went into effect nobody had smartphones very few people had personal computers so why would you think that someone could simply dial up and have a face-to-face conversation remotely with a doctor. So a lot of those restrictions are very harmful, but that was just a different world when those restrictions came into place. And I think that like that's important to keep in mind you know, as we're talking about this, you know, something I think about a lot with healthcare is that when regulations are put into statute, um, it's very hard to change. I'm getting like sort of technical, but I think it's just an important note to make, like telehealth regulations for Medicare, again, talking about the federal government, are in statute. And so in order to change them, Congress has to do something. It can't just be HHS outside of the pandemic. And so if you think about how fast like technology evolves and changes, and then you think about how fast, and by fast, I mean slow, Congress moves. <laughs> it's like it doesn't line up. Like technology is going to be changing and evolving. And like it doesn't make sense to have these, at least from my perspective, to have them like set in statute. But okay, let's keep going. So thinking about the pandemic, Medicare changed all these rules, the state changed all these rules. And then, you know, like what happened as a result of all of those changes? Yeah. Well, it was a sea change in how many people use telehealth. I think less than 1% of all the healthcare that was delivered in this country was delivered remotely. People, they knew their doctor, they knew the hospital they went to, and that was just the way things went. Yeah, providers were also really slow to, to, to provide telehealth. Like, not only was there less um, consumer demand or patient demand, providers also were just, I, I remember talking to my mom, my mom is a healthcare provider, and she was like, why would I provide care? Like, you know, rem- she thought the whole idea was crazy, and then I explained to her, like, what? how many hours do you spend talking on the phone to patients? Yeah, you're making an excellent point. So like we said, all the regulations were against telehealth prior to the pandemic. Providers, they didn't want to introduce this new techno- these new unproven technologies into their practices. And also consumers just were not aware that these options were available. And then the pandemic hit. And everybody knew that they needed to stay home to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And then thankfully, administrators at both the federal level and in the states, they removed these restrictions because they knew that people needed more healthcare connection with their healthcare provider than ever before. 
And it was also more dangerous than ever to meet a healthcare provider because they were busy dealing with COVID patients. So as a result, healthcare telehealth use just expanded. I think the number of people who were using telehealth within Medicare went from 100,000 every week to 10 million people every week. Yeah, I think in our paper we say it was a 7,400% increase. Like, that is crazy. That's just in the Medicare program, Mm -hmm. which if, you know, we're talking about with a broad brush, that's the older population, and they were using telehealth so much more. You know, the commercial market also was using telehealth so much more. Yes. Um, And that's what we had the opportunity to study. Yes, yes. So because of this huge, this surge in telehealth use, we had a lot of questions that came to mind. What was the effect of all of this telehealth use on the patients and the healthcare system? Did people get healthier or less healthy once they started receiving virtual care? And another thing that's really important to healthcare issues, how much did their healthcare cost? You know, did their healthcare costs go up or down when people use telehealth? So we really wanted to find this out and we partnered with a really great data company called Fair Health. They really specialize in looking at telehealth use across the country during the pandemic. And we reached out to them to figure out, you know, just exactly what happened when so many people started using these new technologies for their healthcare needs. So what they did is they looked at the top 10 diseases or conditions um, that were used in telehealth and then compared that to a comparable group of people who used in-person care. And we looked at the outcomes. Um, I think there's like lots of limitations to the study. We were also obviously looking at data during like an exceptional time in the world. And I don't think those patterns necessarily represent healthcare patterns in the normal times. Um, but what we found, which the first point that I was most excited about is that uh, patients who use telehealth did not use more healthcare than patients who used in-person healthcare services. Oftentimes, the reason that telehealth, you know, ends up being limited or hasn't moved forward since 2001 is because that lawmakers are afraid that if they make it easier to access healthcare, uh, people will like overuse the system. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't have any barriers of having to drive to an appointment and wait in the waiting room and then go, you'll all of a sudden, you know, be a hypochondriac and be like billing Medicare for every single little question that you have because your, your doctor is just at your fingertips. Um, but what we found, obviously, we were looking at commercial data, but that included Medicare Advantage plans. And we found that utilization for um, people who used telehealth was no higher than um, people who used in-person care, except during, like, the very, very beginning of the pandemic when, like, everything, you know, all bets were off yeah. <laughs> in, like, March and April and May. Yeah, but the point you're making about telehealth visits, those findings are super important because – a lot of people were thinking that if you make telehealth more available, people won't stop going to see their in-person healthcare provider. They would keep doing that and then purchase additional virtual care services. Yeah, like in economic terms, it would be like complementary effect versus a substitution effect. And the concern was that telehealth would just lead to overconsumption rather than substituting for in-person care. Yes. Yeah. And that was something that a lot of people, something that made a lot of people who are in this space very wary of expanding because 
everyone is concerned about healthcare costs. Yeah. And a lot of those costs are borne by taxpayers through Medicare and Medicaid and a lot of other programs. And so they were, they rightly had concerns that this could lead to more healthcare costs that taxpayers would have to pay for. Yeah. With the data that we had, we basically disproved that assumption. And so um, while other questions remain outstanding, I think that we demonstrated or the pandemic demonstrated that utilization might not increase even if you make care easier to access. Yeah. So that was the next part of our study that we looked at. And we saw that over the period that our study uh, Which I can note that really quick. It was um, January before the pandemic, so January 2020 to February 2021. Yeah, and so that was that was a good time to start because this was before, those were two solid months when we were in the status quo of telehealth. Mm-hmm. Very few people were unaware of it. Very few people were using telehealth. But then fast forward to February of 2021, everybody has been using telehealth, whether it's for primary care or to access specialty care or mental health services. And over that period, we saw that as more people were using telehealth, their healthcare costs fell over that period. Yeah. So, so what we saw was at the beginning, telehealth costs more than in-person care. But I think there's like, you know, obviously we we have the data from you know just over one calendar year, and there's probably a lot of reasons we could explain that. One. I think in normal times, you know, you might imagine that more unhealthy people would go in person and healthier people might just use telehealth to like ask a question or to get a small thing checked on. In the pandemic, you might have seen the inverse because people who had underlying health conditions were more concerned about going in person because they didn't want to catch COVID. And so um, we, we saw that costs at the beginning of the pandemic were higher for telehealth patients. Yeah. Um, But the other thing was that for the duration of the public health emergency period, um, there were a lot of parity rules put into place, which are not normally the case. And parity rules mean that you reimburse telehealth appointments at the same amount as um, in-person care. And I think normally for like a market-based economy, we might assume that telehealth appointments would be reimbursed less. Because, like, you're not using any facilities, you're, like, hopefully at home, like, you're not, like, making anything dirty, you don't have to sanitize anything after they leave the room. But, but of course, that wasn't how the system was used. Like, Medicare was trying to incentivize providers to provide care remotely, and so they were paying them, like, more, like, giving the incentives to do that, paying them as much. And so costs were higher. But over time, like, as things sort of leveled out, Again, like going back to the, the the data, we saw like at the beginning of the pandemic, something like 70% of healthcare appointments were provided remotely. But after like six months, it sort of leveled off around 30%. And so you might think that in a normal world, only a certain amount of appointments will be provided remotely. And looking at our data, costs fell over time and cost less than in-person care, not the care didn't cost less. Uh, telehealth patients cost less overall than in-person patients at the end of our study period, which was February 2021. Yes. And I think seeing the healthcare costs fall, I think a 61% fall yeah. in the healthcare costs of telehealth, telehealth patients, I think that should give 
lawmakers and people that work on this issue a lot of new insights into what how telehealth will impact the cost of care that taxpayers will be paying for for patients and if you imagine like over time you know things leveling out not having payment parity laws on the books people more self-selecting into um you know seeking care via remotely or in person um i do think there is the the trend shows that telehealth could garner a bunch of savings. Um, I do think we need like a longer study window to mm-hmm. prove that for our the data that we looked at, but um, it shows definitely a lot of potential. Yeah, and I think this I think because it showed that there was actually some savings as for the people who use telehealth. I think this is important to note: the people that use telehealth are not the same people that the people that went in person mm-hmm. for healthcare. Everybody has different healthcare conditions, but it's important to see how telehealth addressed those specific people with those specific conditions. And if it's helping them need fewer visits to the doctor. Yeah, like helping them manage chronic conditions. So what our data showed is that uh, telehealth patients could use telehealth to like manage their chronic conditions. Or, you know, the one, um, one of the conditions that had higher remote use was mental health appointments. And what we learned, I think, through this pandemic is that mental health is a type of healthcare that can be delivered remotely. And that's pretty exciting because um, there's a lot of areas in this country that don't have enough healthcare providers. And if you can increase access through virtual care, I think that that's going to improve um, outcomes. And that might involve more appointments, right? Because most mental health care involves like ongoing appointment you know if you're doing talk therapy it's not just like a one and done surgery you're mm-hmm. you're working through things uh you know by meeting with your provider and so you would expect more appointments but that's going to get you better outcomes like better health outcomes yeah the mental health aspect i think is really important in the private sector side of of the data that's been that's been studied by other people we saw that everybody's use of telehealth went up 20%. But with mental health, it went up to 70, 80% of the visits that were done in person. And I think that's something that should be absolutely be continued. A lot of these, these a lot of mental health issues can be treated remotely through yeah, this technology. And, and in, in especially with that type of healthcare, like increased utilization isn't bad. Like mm-hmm. that's what, yeah. that's the treatment program. And you would want that. Um, again, I have like another anecdotal personal example, but my stepmom provides counseling. And prior to the pandemic, she was providing it in person. And then now she's like fallen in love with remote care and has gotten rid of her office and plans to just deliver care remotely from home. And that's like working for her. Um, and I think that's really cool because it's just helping more people access mental health services. Yeah, I was just going to say her story is such a perfect encapsulation of the healthcare use data that our Fair Health study analyzed. It showed that it spiked at 70% and went down to 30, but it's been staying at 30% for months yeah, during our study. Like- People are full very comfortable using telehealth. They've integrated it into their healthcare decisions, which is a huge change. People care very much and are very risk averse about trying new things with their healthcare. But if they have brought this new, these new technologies to how their healthcare provider treats them, that shows that people like it, they trust it, and they want to keep it going long term. 
Well, and then that leads into the next point we wanted to make, which is if nothing changes, mm-hmm. when the public health emergency expires, all of these rule changes will also expire and will go back to Medicare only providing it in very limited circumstances. Yeah. Um, state law, states have a ton of different laws, uh, but again, like they'll go back to whatever the status quo was pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which both of us don't want to see that happen. <laughs> so there are there are some bills that have been introduced that would change that. Um, the first one is Senator Brian Schatz has a bill with 59 co-sponsors uh, called the Connect for Health Act. And it would permanently extend these COVID area telehealth changes um, in Medicare. And so it would allow providers that participate in the Medicare program to deliver care to Medicare patients in their homes, which is a change that was brought on by the pandemic. Um, So that's a good change, uh, but that's not the only ones that have been proposed. Yeah, this is, I mean, so this is a fantastic, there's another fantastic bill that Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina has introduced. He introduced the Telehealth Modernization Act. This would allow all Medicare beneficiaries, even ones outside of rural areas, anywhere in the country to access telehealth, including in their home, which is another major change that needs to be made. And it would allow all types of healthcare providers that are currently delivering telehealth to keep doing that. Because currently, in the absence of the the pandemic rule changes, Medicare has a very limited definition of providers that can provide care remotely. Yeah, they only allowed nine types of healthcare providers. So physicians, certain types of nurses, and possibly psychologists. But again, that prevented speech pathologists, dietitians, nutritionists, all these other healthcare professionals, which were delivering enormously important services during the pandemic, they can keep doing it under these proposals. So this part of our report, I'm especially excited about because it means that lawmakers are listening to their constituents and they're, lis- and they're listening to what the data is saying. The data is saying that patients like the new services that they're receiving and they want to make sure that their constituents and their voters, they can keep enjoying these important services um, long after this pandemic ends. And then um, Senator Joe Manchin also has a bill. I know the issue that's like most important to him is continuing audio only services. Um, So one of the rule changes that was made is that prior to the pandemic, Medicare had very prescriptive rules about the platforms you could use, which again, like this is all in statute. And so you can imagine like what type of platforms existed in 2001 that still exist today. Um, But basically, you know, uh, they had a lot of rules around like video and audio. So meaning like a telephone conversation would not be considered telehealth. Um, and they only allow what we call like store and forward, um, which is like a, if you take like a video or a photo of something and then send it to a doctor, they only allow Medicare only allows that in, I think, Hawaii and Alaska because like they're in six hours, like different time zone. Than I have no idea why they put in that strict exception. For yeah, those I literally states. think it's because there's like not enough specialists in Alaska and somehow Hawaii got in on the action. Yeah. Um, and so they allow, you know, but obviously like more people, if if that's a benefit that people in Hawaii and Alaska can benefit from, like why wouldn't anyone else 
want to benefit from it. But anyway, so um, Senator Manchin really wants the audio only service to continue because West Virginia is very rural and doesn't have broadband in all areas. And if you don't have good internet service, you can't have a, t- a video appointment with your healthcare provider. Um, so what do you think? I mean, this is just your own opinion. Obviously, right now, it's been pretty hard to get agreement on the Hill and to move things forward. So do you think there's like enough drive to move the, you know, some of these telehealth pieces through? I do think there is. This is some this is a health care issue that Republicans and Democrats, which we are demonstrating right now. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are proof point that this that miracles can happen when it comes to health care and politics. Um, but I am very hopeful that this will happen. Republicans and Democrats love this issue. Mm-hmm. They see it as a way that to expand health care access to their constituents. And it's heavily aligned with the things that they want out of they just want a better health care system that yeah. delivers more care at lower cost. And as our paper showed, you can deliver this care without foisting huge costs on taxpayers. And in yeah. fact, there's a good chance that costs will fall when you allow more telehealth. So I'm very hopeful that Republicans and Democrats can get on board with this. I think so too. I think it's going to be one of those things where it's like going to come down to the wire and like people are going to be frustrated because like doctors need to know if they can provide their virtual care appointment on Monday. And I think it's going to be one of those situations where the public health emergency is going to, we don't know at this point, like when it will expire my theory is it's going to expire like sometime in the early spring. I think they'll keep it through the winter just in case we have another COVID spike. And then if we don't, I think it'll expire in the early spring, so, meaning all these rules will be set to expire. And then Congress, like at the you know 25th hour, will <laughs> pass legislation to continue the rules. That's my hot take. That's what I think what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know when when those cha- when the public health emergency will end but there is a level of nervousness that is in this issue all of these amazing changes all of this enormous use and benefit that's coming from telehealth these are all from temporary reforms that are only in existence because covid happened mm-hmm. and because the biden administration I am sorry, the Trump administration put us in a state of emergency that the Biden administration has continued. If Congress doesn't change those statutes and those legal restrictions that you mentioned, we're going to go back to a time when people in rural areas can't access primary care. We're going to go to a place where, you know, patients with mental health issues can't access mental health experts, you know? So we really need to address these restrictions for the benefit of patients all over this country. Totally. And I also think like if you think about it from a provider perspective, like providers had to change how they delivered care and may have created new infrastructures or bought new software programs or um, just change. Again, like going back to my stepmom's example, she like gave up her office and now is delivering care from home. Um, And so you you don't want to like change this at the last minute or like send people back and then have a huge disruption where all of a sudden they have to like change how they're doing things and then only to like change it again. So like hopefully we can pass this prior to the public health emergency um, expiring. I hope so too. But okay, I think that's like covers our topic. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts on telehealth? I just, the only closing thought I have is that I hope we can 
get these changes. We hope we can get these changes done. And I hope this paper can give a lot of assurances to peeps, to lawmakers who have been on the fence about this issue and said, you know, I think this is important and does expand healthcare for some people, but it will still bring a lot of costs that will be borne by taxpayers. I think this should give a lot of comfort to those lawmakers and help them understand that they can make sure that more healthcare is delivered and taxpayers will actually save with these changes. So I'm hopeful that we can all get on board with these reforms and really do right by the people of this country. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was really clear that these changes were good for mental health in particular. Um, I think if payment parity laws get passed, personally, I'm not in favor of payment parity laws, but if they were to get passed, I hope they would just be for mental health care because I think the the care is more or less equivalent um, and it would help provide incentives to serve more people in underserved areas. Um, So I'm I'm on board with that. Um, I... You know, I think that telehealth really helped more people access needed care. And our paper shows that um, the fear of like increased or unnecessary utilization didn't really happen. And that's what a lot of um, policy analysts have said would drive the increase of costs. And so if that didn't happen during the pandemic when people were like stuck at home, bored, lonely, and they're not calling the doctor, you know, worried about COVID-19 or whatever – then I don't think it would happen in normal times. Um, and so I hope that that we extend these rules and you know make telehealth a more permanent part of our healthcare infrastructure. And I think with that, uh, thank you so much, Charlie, for joining us on Radically Pragmatic. Thank you. And um, we'll have to write another paper together on another issue where Democrats and Republicans might agree. <laughs> I wonder what that will be on. <laughs> that time, TBD, to be, to be continued. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.